0: Hello and welcome to The Heiress of Slytherin, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Mikaela, your host. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 12, where I will be discussing chapter 12 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Mirror of Erised. So before I continue to record this episode, I just want to say that I've read this book. The first time I read this book was when I was five years old, so I've been reading this book for 18 years and every single time I come across this word I always say it as erised and in the movie Dumbledore says erised so if I switch between the two it's the same exact thing but I'll probably try to stick to erised for most of this recording and before I get into the chapter content there is some really really exciting wizarding world news so as we know This year, 2021, is the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, depending on where you're from. Now, it isn't the 20th anniversary of the book, but it is the 20th anniversary of the movie. This is the very first movie that started us off on this visually amazing journey of the films. I love them. I absolutely love them. Of course, as we're getting into this podcast, you'll see the books are way more detailed and they do leave some stuff out of the movies, but I still absolutely adore them. And there's some stuff going on in the Wizarding World in celebration of the 20th anniversary of the movie. There's some fun things on the Wizarding World website, like crossword puzzles, things like that for first-time readers. However, today, on November 16th, 2021, which is the same day that I'm going to upload it, so this episode will be available to you guys tonight... So today it was announced that there was going to be a Harry Potter 20th anniversary return to Hogwarts. It's a, it's a show, it's a special celebrating 20 years since Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's slash Philosopher's Stone first uh, premiered in movie theaters. And not only is it special because it's 20 years, it's extremely special because Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, and Emma Watson are going to be in this special. Of course, they play Harry... Ron and Hermione, respectively. And they're heading back to Hogwarts in this special. So they're making an appearance. And fans are absolutely overjoyed. When I saw this news today on my lunch break, I started crying. I was so happy they're going to be reunited for this. And not only do we get them in the show, in the special, we get Helena Bonham Carter, who played um, Bellatrix Lestrange. We get Robbie Coltrane, who played Rubius Hagrid. Ray Fiennes, who played Voldemort. Gary Oldman, who played Sirius. Imelda Staunton, played Umbridge. Tom Felton, played Draco Malfoy. James Phelps, played Fred Weasley. Oliver Phelps, played George Weasley. Mark Williams, played Arthur Weasley. Bonnie Wright, Jenny Weasley. Alfred Enoch, who played Dean Thomas. Matthew Lewis played Neville Longbottom and Ivana Lynch, she played Luna Lovegood. And a director, Christopher Columbus, he's also going to be joining the cast for this trip down memory lane. Now, Christopher Columbus, he directed both the Philosopher's Stone movie and the Chamber of Secrets. So, this is going to be so exciting, especially because the main trio is in it. This just makes it even better. And they're just going to basically, I guess, they're going to be filming at the Leavesden studios. Um, it's the Warner Brothers studios where the films were made and everything there's going to be something for every fan for old fans new fans there's going to be behind the scenes really in-depth interviews probably some never before seen stuff as well a few extra um, exciting surprises and special guests are also teased as well so it's just going to be really cool because Harry Potter has made really an immeasurable impact on fans all over the world myself included so I'm super excited to celebrate just this huge anniversary of the first film. So this special Harry Potter 20th anniversary Return to Hogwarts, it'll stream on January 1st of 2022 on HBO Max. So it's going to be extremely exciting. I can't wait. And, you know, we'll be done with recapping and like going through the book by then, probably be on Chamber of Secrets, but I'm still just so excited to be able to have started this podcast in the 20th year of the film's anniversary. So it's really cool. I'm really glad that I uh, did it around Harry's birthday this year. And speaking of this podcast that you're listening to, I just want to give a shout out to everybody who listens. Wherever you're from, from the United States, I have some listeners in Europe. That's really exciting too. So thank you to everyone that takes the time and listens to these episodes. Also, I want to let you guys know that this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. You can email me at the Heiress of Slytherin Podcast at gmail.com. Twitter page is at Slytherin Pod, and the Facebook page is the Heiress of Slytherin Podcast. You can also leave me voice messages or donate to the podcast through the Anchor link. Okay, now to get into the book. So last episode, chapter 11, was in episode 11, and that was Quidditch. Basically, during that chapter, Snape was just continuing to be really rude, especially to Gryffindor's Harry in particular. And Quidditch season begun. The first game was Slytherin versus Gryffindor. Harry ends up catching the snitch and Gryffindor wins. And during the match, someone jinxes Harry's broom and the trio suspects that it's Snape. There's a few clues pointing to him. And we also get a mention of some other characters, some of the Quidditch players for Slytherin and Gryffindor. And the trio reveals to Hagrid that they encountered Fluffy, the three-headed dog, and they learn that his name is Fluffy. And Hagrid also accidentally mentions Nicholas Flamel, and he has something to do with whatever Fluffy is guarding. Right, so this first chapter, Christmas was coming. That's the very first sentence. And since it is Christmas season and I'm able to record this episode during that time, I do want to read the description of Hogwarts during that time. Christmas was coming. One morning in mid-December, Hogwarts woke to find itself covered in several feet of snow. The lake froze solid and the Weasley twins were punished for bewitching several snowballs so that they followed Crowell around, bouncing off the back of his turban. The few owls that managed to battle their way through the stormy sky to deliver mail had to be nursed back to health by Hagrid before they could fly off again. No one could wait for the holidays to start, while the Gryffindor common room in the Great Hall had roaring fires, the drafty corridors have become icy and a bitter wind rattled the windows in the classrooms. I just want to mention how funny it is that the twins bewitched the snowballs to hit the back of Coral's head with his turban because remember Voldemort's face is right there. So they're basically just bewitching these snowballs that are hitting Voldemort in the face. It's pretty funny. So Malfoy, he's trying to be rude about quote-unquote feeling sorry for those who have to stay at Hogwarts for Christmas. You know, Malfoy's family is extremely rich. He's going home to a manor. It's literally called Malfoy Manor. It's a huge estate. And he's, of course, he's trying to be rude, as, as usual, towards Ron and Harry. Malfoy has just been more unpleasant than usual since the last Quidditch match. He's pretty bitter that Slytherin lost to Gryffindor. Harry, on the other hand, does not feel sorry for himself at all. In fact, he's really excited and he thinks that it'll be the best Christmas he's ever had, which is so exciting. Like, I love that for Harry because he's had a pretty rough life. He's never had a good Christmas or a good holiday or birthday or anything like that. So I'm really excited for Harry. Well, up until the birthday where Hagrid told him he was a wizard, but besides that, no Christmases have been good at all for him. So of course, Harry is staying at Hogwarts for Christmas break and Ron is actually staying too. His parents are going to be visiting Charlie in Romania. That's his older brother who works with dragons. So Harry and Ron are leaving potions as well as Malfoy. And they find a really large fir tree blocking the corridor ahead. And it's Hagrid that's pulling through to bring that Christmas tree to the Great Hall. And Ron offers to help him. Hagrid's like, no, I'm okay. Thank you, though. But Malfoy, of course, loudly says something rude about how Hagrid's hut is a palace compared to what his family is used to referring to Ron, what the Weasleys are used to. So Ron dies at him for making that remark about his family. And of course, Snape catches him. And Hagrid tells him that he tells Snape that Ron was provoked because Malfoy said something rude. And Snape says that fighting is against the rules no matter what. So he takes away five points from Gryffindor. So basically, Harry and Ron hate both Snape and Malfoy. And it's pretty much vice versa. Snape really does not like Harry doesn't care for Ron and Malfoy hates both of them. However, Harry is the one to say the quote, I hate them both, Malfoy and Snape. So Ron and Harry go with Hagrid into the great hall, which is all decorated for Christmas. Flitwick and McGonagall are the ones who decorated it using magic, of course. And I love Christmas and I love this description of what the hall looks like. The hall looks spectacular. Festoons of holly and mistletoe hung all around the walls and no less than 12 towering Christmas trees stood around the room, some sparkling with tiny icicles, some glittering with hundreds of candles. So at this point in the story, they only have one day until their Christmas holidays start. So Hermione reminds Harry and Ron that they should be in the library to research Nicholas Flamel, and they have been researching for two weeks. Um, they've been going to the library a bunch to try to see who he is, Hagrid is shocked, says that they don't need to research it anymore, and he's disgruntled. He's really mad that he revealed Nicholas Lamell's name, and he doesn't want them to continue to to look him up to see who he is. Harry even tells him, like, well, you can save us the trouble, drop a little hint. Hagrid's like, I'm not saying anything, so they just have to go and find for themselves. And I want to read the list of the books that they looked in and they didn't find his name in. And the first one is Great Wizards of the 20th Century, And he's also not in notable magical names of our time. Nor is he in important modern magical discoveries or a study of recent developments in wizardry. And there's just tens of thousands of books in the library, thousands of shelves. So it's going to be really hard to find. And the trio feels the need to find out who Nicholas Flamel is because otherwise, how are they going to find out what Snape is trying to steal? Remember, Snape isn't the one trying to steal the Sorcerer's Stone, but that's just what the trio thinks right now. This is also a time that I really want to mention. Do you know how much work that is to go through, just pick books that you think a name might be in, and you have to look through the pages, look through the index, glossary, whatever it is, table of contents, and try to find a name in there? I just think that the Wizarding World is advanced in so many ways, but they're also behind in a lot of ways, and this is one of them. Of course, when this takes place, it's 1991, so I don't even know if Google was a thing back then, but still, wizards nowadays, like in modern times, they would probably still use books, libraries, and it would be so much easier for Harry, Ron, Hermione if they could have just gone into Google and searched Nicholas LeMellon and it would have come up right away. But they didn't have it like that back then, so they have to search through all of these books just to try and find his name or a hint or something like that. Harry begins to wonder if Flamel's name is mentioned in the restricted section. Now, the restricted section in the library at Hogwarts is a section, basically restricted books. They contain some very dark magic, and you need a note from one of the teachers to look in there, like a special note uh, written and signed by them. So those books that contain the powerful dark magic, it's never taught at Hogwarts. And I do want to mention the restricted section. So... It used to have books containing information about horcruxes, how to make a horcrux, what a horcrux is. Remember, this is how Voldemort tries to evade death by making a bunch of horcruxes. And once Dumbledore figures out that Voldemort made horcrux, made horcruxes, he kind of has a theory. Whenever he starts to have that theory is when he removes those books from the library. However, he doesn't destroy these books. He keeps them in his office. And we know this because... At the end of Half-Blood Prince, Hermione actually Accio's those books using the summoning charm into her room. So when Harry, Ron, and Hermione go on a Horcrux hunt like that next year, they go and use the books as a resource. So it's another reason Hermione is the glue that holds them together. The last day before the holidays, they still do not find out who Nicholas Flamel is. They don't find his name anywhere. Hermione goes and visits her parents, goes home for the holidays, And Harry and Ron are having a great time at Hogwarts. They have their whole dormitory to themselves, so Seamus, Dean, and Neville are all home for the holidays. And the common room is a lot emptier than usual, so not many Gryffindors are staying at Hogwarts for the holidays either. So Ron teaches Harry wizard's chess. Ron is very good at it, and he has a hand-me-down set that he's using to teach Harry. Wizard's chess is exactly like Muggle chess, except that the figures are alive, and... It makes them look kind of like they're directing troops in battle, and so they move. You tell them knight to E5 or whatever it is, and it moves and goes there. And if I don't even know how chess works, honestly, checkmates, whatever it is, the pieces will actually destroy one another. So it's pretty dangerous, Um, at least not this little tiny set isn't. However, this comes up later in this book. Harry, Ron, Hermione have to play an actual game of wizard's chess with huge real-life figurines, and that is dangerous. So Ron is using his hand-me-down set of course and, and the figures that Harry is using are ones that Seamus let him and they're magic so it's funny because they shout advice at him. And then Christmas Eve arrives and Harry looks forward to the food and fun however he goes to bed not expecting any presents at all because that's just been his life. He really hasn't had presents so he's not expecting anything. But when he wakes up there are presents at the foot of his bed And I do want to say in the movie, they're downstairs in the common room, Harry and Ron opening presents by like a Christmas tree. And I kind of like that better than them just opening them in the dormitory. So Harry actually does have presents. Ron has a lot more than Harry, but nonetheless, Harry does have presents. Hagrid gifted him a roughly cut wooden flute. Vernon Petunia, his aunt and uncle, actually did send him a gift but it's a parcel with a note saying that they received his message and taped to it is a 50 pence piece. So the message they received that they're acknowledging that they received is most likely a letter from Hogwarts saying that he's going to be staying at Hogwarts for the holidays. And I bet Dudley just didn't want his name on the note and that's why it says it's only from Petunia and Vernon. And I did look up how much a 50 pence piece is, like the American equivalent, and it's about 62.5 cents. So that's what Vernon and Petunia decided to gift Harry. And Ron, being someone who hasn't seen a Muggle Money before, he is absolutely fascinated by it. And Harry tells him, go ahead and keep it. Another gift at the end of Harry's bed is a described as a lumpy gift. And he wonders who it's from. But Ron recognizes it right away and he knows that it's from his mom. And he wrote her saying that Harry wouldn't be expecting presents. So she knit him an emerald Weasley sweater and included a large box of fudge. So this was super nice of Mrs. Weasley. And that's what she gives her kids every year. She knits them a sweater. So Ron says that his every year is always maroon. And Hermione gifted him a large box of chocolate frogs. And for Ron, she gave him a box of Every Flavor Beans, which is the birdie bots Every Flavor Beans that they had on the train. And Harry's last present is something fluid and silvery gray, gleaming folds. That's how it's described. And Ron says, he's just absolutely shocked. He says that they're rare and very valuable. And this is an invisibility cloak. This is what Harry is gifted for Christmas. The notes that came with the gift is, Your father left this my possession before he died. It is time it was returned to you. Use it well. A very Merry Christmas to you. No signature. Ron just keeps admiring the note. Or sorry, the cloak. And Harry's just staring at the note. And Ron says that he'd give anything for one of these. Anything. And Harry's just feels strange. Like, who sent this cloak? Had it really once belonged to his father? And yes, it did really once belong to his father. And the one who sent the cloak is Albus Dumbledore. So to explain this because this is one of those things that's important in the series later on, but it's mentioned in the first book. So yes, Dumbledore did give Harry the cloak from his dad. Now this invisibility cloak was passed on in the Potter family for generations and generations for, I don't even know how many years, like centuries. And Dumbledore is somebody who really wanted to find the Deathly Hollows. Deathly Hollows is the name of the seventh book. And it was said that whoever owned all three hollows was a master of death. Now, the hollows were the Elder Wand, the Cloak of Invisibility, which is this one, and the Resurrection Stone. Harry actually does come across all three, and so does Dumbledore. And the Resurrection Stone is actually a Horcrux that Dumbledore does destroy later on. Now, Dumbledore owned the Elder Wand for years and years. And then Harry, eventually, its he's the master of the Elder Wand. And the Resurrection Stone, Dumbledore finds it. He destroys the Horcrux in it, but it's still a stone. And Harry does use that in the seventh book to see his parents momentarily, as well as Sirius and Lupin. And this Cloak of, invis- of Invisibility is something that has been passed down in his family for all these years. Now, in the seventh book, there's a description about Xenophilius' love good. He's saying there's not really that many true invisibility cloaks. There's only one true invisibility cloak that doesn't wear or tear it doesn't fade it's not made of the fur of a demiguise, which is an animal that can kind of blend into its backgrounds and look invisible and he asks the trio have any of you ever seen such a cloak and they don't answer him but the answer is yes they have seen it in such a cloak and that is harry's cloak it's that exact description it's just perfect and it maintains its perfectness throughout years they don't even know how long it's been in his family for but Yes, Harry is related to the Peveril brothers, who were the ones who are from this fairy tale. That actually is true. It's a Wizarding World fairy tale, and each brother had a hollow. So one had the Elder Wand, one had the Resurrection Stone, and one had the Invisibility Cloak. So Harry's direct relation is to the one who owned the Invisibility Cloak that was passed down in his family. So it's pretty cool that Harry he does not know it until years later. But he has this actual true Deathly Hollow, and it's, it's so cool. And Dumbledore kind of reveals later how he did want to have all three Deathly Hollows and how he searched for them. And when he found them all at one point, he didn't have them all at the same time, but he did have them. Of course, Harry does not know any of this right now. And as he's thinking, like, who would have sent me this cloak? Like, did my father really have it? All of a sudden, the twins come into the dormitory and Harry immediately hides the cloak. And the twins come in, they each have blue sweaters on with F for Fred and G for George. And Percy also comes in and he says, what's all this noise? Just, he's just being ridiculous. (laughs) They're really not making that much noise. And I have a little theory, my headcanon is that Percy, of course he wants to be bossy, but he also wanted to kind of be around his brothers on Christmas Eve, which he usually is but since they're not actually at home right now, he was just kind of seeing like what's going on and his pretense was like, I need to see what this noise is, but he just wanted to be there. That's my headcanon. And Percy's sweater has a P on it. Of course, it's for Percy, but Fred jokes and says P is for prefects. Get it on Percy. Come on, we're all wearing ours. Even Harry got one. He doesn't want to wear it, but the twins forced it over Percy's head anyways. And George tells him, and you're not sitting with the prefects today either. Christmas is a time for family. And now I want to read the description of Christmas dinner and what was going on at the Great Hall. Harry had never in all his life had such a Christmas dinner. A hundred fat roast turkeys, mountains of roast and boiled potatoes, platters of chipolates, tureens of buttered peas, silver boats of thick, rich gravy and cranberry sauce, and stacks of wizard crackers every few feet along the table. These fantastic party favors were nothing like the feeble muggle ones the Dursleys usually bought with their little plastic toys and their flimsy paper hats inside. Harry pulled a wizard cracker with Fred, and it didn't just bang. It went off with a blast like a cannon and engulfed them all in a cloud of blue smoke, while from the inside exploded a rear admiral's hat and several live white mice. Up at the high table... Dumbledore had swapped his pointed wizard's hat for a flowered bonnet and was chuckling merrily at a joke Professor Flopwick had just read him. And I need to do a little pause in the reading of the description right now so I can explain some stuff for us Americans. A chipolata is a French sausage. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly, but there's platters of that during this Christmas feast, during dinner. And also a Christmas cracker. In the UK, it's a table decoration or like a stocking stuffer. It's sometimes at individual place settings and it's, it makes a snapping sound when pulled open and it contains usually like a small gift. So Harry kind of said it here like the feeble feeble muggle ones that the jerseys usually bought with like little plastic toys, flimsy paper hats. However, these are wizards so everything's going to be cooler. So this wizard cracker, that's like the loud blast like a cannon. I don't think it's very cool that there were white live mice in there. But still, this is a wizard cracker and it's a lot cooler than a muggle cracker for Christmas. Now back to the description. Flaming Christmas puddings followed the turkey. Percy nearly broke his teeth on a silver sickle embedded in his slice. Remember, sickle is a coin in Wizarding World. So it's money. And Harry's watching. Hagrid just keeps getting redder and redder in his face. He keeps drinking more wine. He even kisses Professor McGonagall on the cheek and she just giggles and blushes. Which is very surprising, but she's drunk too. And when Harry finally left the table, he was laden down with a stack of things out of the crackers. So he got more gifts and like stocking stuffer type things from the crackers. However, it's wizarding stuff. It's magic, so it's cooler. So he actually got a pack of non-explodable luminous balloons, a grow your own warts kit, and his own new wizard chess set. And Harry and the Weasleys actually had a pretty happy afternoon. They were just having snowball fight on the grounds. Then they returned to the Gryffindor common room where Harry used his new chess set and he just lost to Ron as usual. But this time Percy was trying to give him advice and help him, but Harry thinks that he wouldn't have lost so badly if Percy hadn't been doing that and being bossy trying to help him. And after a meal of turkey sandwiches, crumpets, trifle, and Christmas cake, everyone felt too full and sleepy to do much more before Bed except sit and watch percy chase the twins around because they stole his prefect badge and i do want to say another thing for americans trifle is a cold dessert of sponge cake so that's one of the things they eat and it had been harry's best christmas day ever so i'm so happy for him that he had a great christmas however in the back of his mind all day he just has that thought of the invisibility cloak and whoever sent it and this is the first time today that he can actually really think about it Ron, who is super full and just so tired and with nothing mysterious to bother him, falls asleep right away. So Harry's just kind of thinking about this cloak right now. He's thinking about the mysterious note, and eventually he decides to put the cloak on and explore Hogwarts. So he goes down to the restricted section in the library, lights a lamp to see, and there's no Lumos yet. Remember, Lumos Maxima is one of the popular spells in harry potter and so that's the one that you know he conjured light so it's really cool that it's not cool that he doesn't have lumos yet but it's exciting that it's something he's going to learn lumos is also a popular tattoo amongst harry potter fans that reminds me i actually have a deathly hollows tattoo um we were talking about deathly hollows earlier in this chapter in this episode and i have Expecto patronum which is my favorite harry potter spell but moving on So as Harry's in the library in the restricted section, he's kind of looking through books. He opens one book up and it lets out a scream that just keeps dragging. So Harry has to run out of the library, past Filch, under the invisibility cloak, of course. And he hides in a classroom. It's actually Snape and Filch that are now looking for him. And Filch actually gets Snape because he tells him, you asked me to come directly to you, professor, if anyone was wandering around at night and somebody's been in the library restricted section. But Harry doesn't get caught. And as he's in the classroom, it's like the only door that's ajar to his left. And that's why he squeezes through it to hide. He notices that it looks like an unused classroom. There's shapes of like the desks and chairs piled against the walls, but... There's something in there that looks like it shouldn't be there. And it is a magnificent mirror as high as the ceiling with an ornate gold frame standing on two clawed feet. There was an inscription carved around the top. So it's kind of hard to pronounce because it's all backwards, but basically if you're just reading it, it says Erised Stra Ichru Oit Ube Kafru Oit on Woshi. Now it doesn't make any sense to you. Because backwards, it says, I show not your face, but your heart's desire. That's what that inscription is, just backwards, because, you know, it's a mirror. So, and the mirror is called the Mirror of Erised. Now, Harry doesn't know this yet, and he doesn't know that the saying is backwards. Or inscription, I should say. And Harry looks into the mirror, and he sees a whole crowd of people standing right behind him. So he turns around, but the room is empty. So he turns back to the mirror and he sees like right there, there's about 10 other people here. he looks again, no one is there. So he's like, are they all invisible too? Is he just in a room of invisible people? Is the mirror playing a trick on him? However, he looks in the mirror again. He sees a woman standing right behind him, behind his reflection, and she's smiling and waving. He reaches out to the hands and he feels just air behind him. That's it. And he knows that if she was really there, he'd be able to feel her. However, he sees that she has dark red hair in her eyes. Her eyes are just like mine, Harry thought. He, look, he gets closer to the mirror and he sees that they're bright green, exactly the same shape. But then he notices that there's another man there. Tall, thin, black-haired man standing next to her. He puts his arm around her. He wears, he wears glasses and his hair is very untidy exactly like harry's is now i need to remind you guys harry looks exactly like his dad except for his eyes he has his mother's eyes so you already know snape probably has some serious ptsd seeing harry potter for the first time this school year knowing that he looks exactly like james who he hates but knowing he has the exact same eyes as lily who he loves so harry says mom dad he knows that it's his parents And as he looks into the faces of the other people in the mirror, he sees other pairs of green eyes like his, other noses like his, even a little old man who looked as though he had Harry's knobbly knees. Harry realizes that he's looking at his family for the very first time in his life. Harry has never seen his parents before. I mean, he did when he was little, of course. However, he hasn't seen pictures of them. The Dursleys don't have pictures of their family. They don't have anything. So Harry has never seen his parents before. He's 11 years old. He's seeing them for the first time. He's also seeing his other family for the first time. He's seeing his grandparents. And something I do want to mention here, he doesn't just see his grandparents from his dad's side, who are the Potters. He sees his grandparents from his mother's side, who are the Evanses. Evans is their last name. So I guess Evanses would be the plural. Anyways, so his aunt's Petunia, her maiden, her maiden name is Evans, just like his mom's maiden name is Evans. So he's seeing his maternal grandparents in that mirror as well. Now, he doesn't see the Dursleys like his aunt's uncle and cousin because they treat him terribly. They, they're not in his heart's desire. But his other family is because they would have loved Harry just like his parents did. So Harry the description is he had a powerful kind of ink inside of him half joy half terrible sadness so this is hitting Harry really hard he's seeing his family for the first time it's Christmas day Christmas night I mean it's it's a big day and it's it's hard for him to look away but he knows that he can't just stay here he has to go back to his to bed he doesn't even really know where to go in the castle because you know he's still a first year he's not really sure where he is. And even if he had been there for years, he doesn't mean he would know either. Even Dumbledore himself says that he sometimes gets lost and doesn't know where he is in the castle. So in the morning, Harry tells Ron about the mirror and he thinks that he's going to see all of the Weasleys. And Ron's kind of annoyed. He's like, you could have woke me up. But Harry's like, well, we'll go tonight. And I do want to mention something I didn't say before was that Harry did consider waking Ron up. Ron up but he kind of wanted to do it alone. And I completely understand. It's like his cloak. He wants to use it by himself for the first time. And it's nice that he got that experience in the mirror for the first time alone without Ron there. So all day long, Harry just thinks about the mirror and then him and Ron go there at night. And he thinks that Ron's going to see his family, the Weasleys. However, Ron sees an older version of himself as head boy, as Quidditch captain, who had just won the Quidditch cup and harry's confused because he's like wait i thought it's a mirror that shows your family and when harry looks into the mirror he sees his family he can't see whatever ron's seeing and vice versa ron can't see what harry's seeing he only sees himself as an older version head boy quidditch captain all that and something funny too is when because harry tells ron like you're going to see my mom and dad and ron's like okay yeah i'd like to see your mom and dad and then Harry says, I want to see all of your family, all of the Weasleys. You'll be able to show me your older, your other brothers and everyone. And Ron says, you can just see them anytime. Just come around my house this summer. And he also has a theory that maybe it only shows dead people. So forgot to mention that before I got into whatever Ron saw in the mirror, but that's Harry's initial thought. He thinks it's just going to show families. So Ron does tell Harry that he has a bad feeling about it. And he thinks that they shouldn't go back to the mirror. However, Harry does go back on the third night. And this is where the author mentions that one of his grandfathers. So that implies that not only one grandfather is there. He doesn't know if it's the Potter grandfather or the Evans grandfather. I mean, he might know. It's not specified. However, both sets of grandparents are there. And I think that's really cool. And it also shows just how messed up his Aunt Petunia is. She is terrible for how she treated her sister and and how she treated her dead sister's son. So Harry goes and, um, to the mirror on the third night, he sees all his family again. He sits down just to look at them, and he hears, so, back again, Harry. And it's none other than Dumbledore. He's actually sitting on one of the desks, so Harry thinks that he must have just walked straight past him, so desperate to get to the mirror. And he says, I didn't notice you, sir. Like, I didn't see you. And Dumbledore says, strange how nearsighted being invisible can make you. And Harry thinks he's in trouble, but he sees that Dumbledore is smiling. So he tells him, you, like hundreds of like hundreds of people before you have discovered the delights of the Mirror of Erised. Harry's like, oh, I didn't know that it was called that. But Dumbledore's telling him, well, like, you probably realize what it does by now. Harry says, well, it showed me my family. And Dumbledore says, and it showed your friend Ron himself as head boy. Harry's like, how did you know? Dumbledore said, "No, this is a big quote. This is a popular Dumbledore quote. I don't need a cloak to become invisible. So this is another thing. It's a quote that's mentioned now, and it comes up years later. Harry thinks about how Dumbledore did say this exact thing to him one time. I don't need a cloak to become invisible. So Harry can't think of what the, the mirror really does. And so Dumbledore explains to him, the happiest man on earth would be able to use the mirror of Erised like a normal mirror. That is, he would look into it and see himself exactly as he is. So Harry's like, does it show us what we want then? Dumbledore says yes and no, but he says, it shows us nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. You, who have never known your family, see them standing around you. Ronald Weasley, who has always been overshadowed by his brothers, sees himself standing alone, the best of all of them. However, this mirror will give us neither knowledge or truth. Men have mas- wasted away before it, entranced by what they have seen, or been driven mad, not not knowing if what it shows is real or even possible. So this is a really good example of how Ron. He is. He does get jealous. He's kind of a jealous person. His brothers overshadow him. His younger sister is a girl, so she, he kind of gets overshadowed by her too. His best friend is Harry Potter. This jealousy stuff does come up later on and it makes him, it doesn't really, it's kind of the worst parts of Ron, honestly. And his deepest desires, he doesn't want to be overshadowed and he sees that in the mirror. This is another example too of how things in Harry Potter are really cool. And for instance, you don't really know for sure what your house would be unless you're like getting sorted by the hat in real life, which is impossible because Harry Potter is fantasy. Just like you don't know which wand would choose you, what your Patronus would be. And you might know what you would see in a mirror of era said, but it's, you know, you have to be really honest with yourself to know what that would be. So Dumbledore tells him, he tells Harry that this mirror is going to be moved the next day. And he asks Harry not to go looking for it. Another very famous Dumbledore quote, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. This is what he tells Harry. And it's a great quote. And so Harry agrees he's not gonna go looking for it. And he asks Dumbledore, what do you see in the mirror? And Dumbledore tells him that he sees himself holding a pair of wooly socks. Well, thick woolen socks. And Dumbledore tells him, one can never have enough socks. Another Christmas has come and gone and I didn't get a single pair. People will insist on giving me books. So Harry goes back to his uh, dormitory he lays in bed, and it's just in that moment when he thinks Dumbledore might not have been truthful. But then again, it was a quite it was quite a personal question. So that is the end of the chapter. Now, we do know that at one point, when Dumbledore looked into the mirror of Erised, he saw Grindelwald, his friend-slash-lover. This was, of course, years ago, like in the 1920s or whatever, but he very well might still see that, So this was another big chapter, super fun because of Christmas, Harry's best Christmas ever at this point, and also his very first one in the Wizarding World at Hogwarts, getting an invisibility cloak, and also encountering the Mirror of Erised. So some of the questions that I had for this chapter were answered by my listener Nilda, and I asked, what's the first thing you would do if you opened up a present on Christmas morning and it was an invisibility cloak? Is there somewhere in Hogwarts that you specifically want to go? And she said that she's not sure, but she'd probably go to all the places that you're not allowed to go. I feel like that's true. You just kind of want to explore and see what you can see without other people watching you, like the other students and professors and all that. Being under the cloak allows you some, you know, you're invisible, so you get away with some stuff. Another question I had is, which is your favorite Christmas decoration slash description in this chapter? And I think the holidays would be so much fun at Hogwarts and it would just be so great to spend Christmas there. But her favorite descriptions of decorations were Flitwick's golden baubles. He was attaching to the 12 Christmas trees. And I like that one a lot. And I also really like just general, just like everything. The like fires that they were talking about. But it's still like icy cold outside because they're the UK. And all the decorations that McGonagall does. Like I think that's really cool. I also asked, what is your idea of a perfect Christmas feast? She said endless roasted pork cooked to perfection and countless desserts as long as there's chocolate in the desserts and some lemony tartness, I would be delighted." I agree with that. I love chocolate and I love lemon, so not together, but some desserts like that would be really fun. And another question I had is how it's mentioned that Hermione buys Harry and Ron Christmas presents. What do you think that they would have bought for her and for each other? She thinks that Harry would probably get her something like a special pen and ink, well it'd be a quill and ink, that are enchanted to automatically make typos disappear as you're writing and Ron might have gotten her like a bookmark or something like that. And I kind of agree Not that they're bad gift givers. Hermione is definitely a better gift giver than Ron and Hermione. But I think that those are pretty much good. You know, she likes to study. She takes pride in her schoolwork. And they'd probably get her something related to that. So all of these questions, anybody feel free to answer them. You guys can also ask me ahead of time for the questions for the next, for next week's episode. You can email me that asking, tweet at me, leave me a Facebook message, and I'll be more than happy to give you those questions. Read your answers on the podcast if you'd like, or even just go ahead and let me know your answers for the previous episodes questions. I love to hear all of that. So you guys can always do that. And next week's episode, I'm going to be discussing chapter 13 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which is Nicholas Flamel. So this is a pretty cool chapter here as well. And just make sure you guys read that ahead of time so you're ready for the discussion. And as a reminder, my email is the Podcast at gmail.com. Twitter page is at SlytherinPod. Facebook is the Podcast. And this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. And if there's a podcast platform or app that you website, whatever it is that you like listening to podcasts from, and I'm not on there, go ahead and let me know. And then I'll try to look in to see how I can put it on there so you can listen uh, through your preferred app or website. That's the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening to The Heiress of Slytherin. I'm Micaela. Bye.